Again, good morning, and uh, turning your Bibles to Psalm 105 for your mobile devices or whatever y'all are using at home. Uh, we're going through our devotional, A Good Confession, and this week's catechism is question number 35, and Jason did not forget to do it. Uh, we wanted to save it until the message time because of what we're studying this morning. So here's the question that we're going to be focused on this week in our devotional, but also uh, this morning. So read this with me. Uh, well, I'll read the question. We'll read the answer together. Question 35, what is sanctification together? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God, and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Now, I want to keep that up there for a second. If you remember, the past couple weeks, we did justification and adoption. And the difference is those questions and answers, the answer begins with, is the work of, is the act of God's free grace. Justification is the act of God's free grace. Adoption is the act of God's free grace. In other words, because our union with Christ, God simply declares it to be true, instantaneously and eternally. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace. It happens progressively, but it is still the work of grace. And notice, we're renewed in the whole man, the whole heart, our mind, our emotions, our desires, our choices. And so as we go through the Psalms this summer, we're learning about the heart. Uh, The Psalms are the counseling book, if you will, of God's people. And God is wanting to change our hearts. How do we do that? Well, we're enabled by grace to die unto sin or die to self and to live unto righteousness. Now, the question is, how do we know if we're being sanctified? How do we know that we're really changing? And even perhaps more basic than that, how does God tell us we're going to experience change? Robert Duvall is one of my favorite actors. In 1983, some of us weren't even born yet, but in 1983, uh, he acted in a movie called Tender Mercies. He won the Academy Award for his role in that movie. He plays a a washed-up, alcoholic, country-western songwriter. His wife sang all the songs and became very rich. While Robert Duvall's character, Mac Sledge, became very, very drunk. As a result, he lost his marriage. He lost his daughter. He's looking for work and he happens upon this service station hotel establishment combo run by Rosalie, who lost her husband in Vietnam several years earlier. And she has a son as well, whose name is Sonny. Well, you know what I'm sure Hollywood wrote. They fall in love. They get married. Now, Rosalie, supposedly for the movie, is a Christian. She's a churchgoer. She sings in the choir. She's got to be a Christian, right? And uh, Mac and Sonny get baptized on the same day. And after they're baptized on the way home, they have a conversation on what it means 
to be transformed, purified, changed, sanctified. Watch. Upon your profession of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Upon your profession of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. for different well that's what psalm 105 is all about psalm 105 recounts or rehearses the people of the old testament upon whom god pours out his transforming grace and as we reflect upon this covenant of grace and God's plan to redeem and restore a people for himself, we realize in a fresh way how God changes us, the process he uses to transform us. One of the names of God found in Leviticus uh, 20 is Jehovah Makedesh. Jehovah Makedesh. And what it means is, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And this entire psalm is about that grace of God to transform us. Let's all stand out of reverence for God's word and follow along. I'm going to read Psalm 105. It's a long psalm, so I'm going to read verses 1 through 15, which, by the way, also occur in First Chronicles uh, 16 when, when David brings the ark from the Philistines back into Jerusalem, and then verses 42 to 45. This is God's word. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wonderful works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. 
O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham. His sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute. To Israel as an everlasting covenant. Saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. Where they were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it. Wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people. He allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. Then skip down to verse 42. For he remembered his holy promise, and Abraham his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing. And he gave them the lands of the nations, and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil, that they may keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. This is a really encouraging psalm, by the way. I encourage you to read the whole thing uh, sometime this week. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us. And he wants us to know how committed he is to transforming our lives on a daily basis. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, may we submit to it. May we trust it. May we rejoice in it. Come, Holy Spirit, be our teacher and guide. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take a seat. So Psalm 105 reveals three keys to experiencing personal transformation. First of all, be purified by trusting in grace. What did question 35 say? What is sanctification? Sanctification is a work of God's free grace. We are changed the same way we are converted. People, listen to me. I spent so many years of the Christian life not knowing this. I planted this church not really understanding this. What I see in so many Christian lives is that they understand they can't be saved from the penalty of sin by their own efforts. They can only be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the domain of light by God's grace. We're not fooled. We know self-reliance won't work to get us to heaven. But once we're converted, so many Christians tend to change the rules. They change how they live the game. And Paul even talks about this in Galatians 3. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, having begun by the grace of God, having begun by an act of God's free grace, are you now trying to attain your goal, transformation, sanctification, by self-reliance? See, we tend to fall into this, this deception that we're saved by grace through faith, but we're sanctified by sweat through self-reliance. 
And that's why there are so many people who several years after conversion lose the joy of the Christian life. And they're just like Mac and Sonny in the front of that pickup truck. I don't feel any different to you. You don't look different. Do I? Grace is how we're delivered from the penalty of sin eternally. And grace is how we're delivered from the power of sin gradually. So look at verse 1. Call on His name. Verses 1, 2, and 5. Make known His deeds. Tell of all His wonderful works. Verses 3 and 4. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and His strength. The entire beginning of the psalm focuses on who God is. And what God has promised to do in the covenant of grace. And what God has done. And will continue to do. We put up a quote by Kevin DeYoung that really summarizes the early part of this psalm. The secret of the gospel is that we actually do more when we hear less about all we need to do for God and hear more about all that God has already done for us. I believe that is a gospel truth. I also believe that is a failure of the contemporary church. I believe many contemporary churches spend all their time telling the people of God what you need to do for God instead of emphasizing what God has done for you. And when grace is emphasized, a supernatural, gradual transformation occurs. And that is exactly what Psalm 105 is all about. It's about trusting grace to give us the power to be changed. Zechariah 4, verse 6. Not by might, your own. Not by power, your own. But by my spirit, says the Lord. Ephesians 1, 19 in the New Testament. Paul prays that we might be able to grasp how great is his power toward us who believe. How are you saved from hell and the penalty of sin? By trusting the promises of the gospel. By trusting the promises of the covenant of grace through Jesus Christ. How are you sanctified? By trusting the gospel. By trusting the promises of the covenant of grace through Jesus Christ. O. Palmer Robertson is another very respected theologian in our denomination and beyond. Sanctification is by faith alone because the justified sinner looks by faith alone in him, even as he looked by faith alone to the righteousness of Christ done for him. Do you see that? The same way you trusted in your union with Christ to bring you justification and adoption, righteousness, you continue to trust in the finished work of Christ in you as you did when you trusted the work of Christ for you. Do you hear what I'm saying? Sanctification is by grace through faith. And so many Christians think it's by pulling up your own life through your own bootstraps. 
your own discipline, your own effort. Now, I'm not saying there isn't a place for effort. We're going to get to that in point three. But the foundation of our transformation is the work of Christ. Continually hoping in the work of Christ. Rock of Ages by uh, Augustus Toplady is one of my favorite hymns, uh, mainly because of the lyrics. Uh, You need to know that this was written supposedly by Toplady as he was traveling through England. He was traveling along a gorge, and there was this massive, dramatic uh, thunder and lightning storm. And he was out in the open, and he he happened to find a, a cleft in the rock. And he stayed there while the storm raged all around him. And while he was there, he penned the lyrics to the song, Rock of Ages. And he introduced the hymn with a paragraph, a a preface, if you will. And this is what he wrote. If you fall, as a Christian, if you fall in sin, if you fall, be humbled, but do not despair. Pray afresh to God who is able to raise you up and set you on your feet again. Look to the blood of the covenant and say to the Lord from the depths of your heart, Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed Be of sin the double cure. Save me from its guilt and power. You see that? That's grace. The grace of God flows out of the blood of Christ. And the blood of Christ, trusting in the blood, in other words, the finished work of Christ on the cross, His obedient life, His substitutionary death, as we rest in that truth, that promise in God's Word, We are cleansed from sin's guilt, sin's penalty. But then you don't change the rules and begin to trust in self-reliance upon your own strength to pull yourself up by your bootstraps to live the Christian life. No, you never shift your ground of confidence from the blood of Christ to your own efforts. Grace is the A to Z, the beginning and end, the alpha and omega of the entire Christian life. And as we trust and rest in the blood of Christ, we're not only cleansed from its power and its penalty, I mean from its guilt and its penalty, we're also cleansed from its power gradually. What are you trusting in this morning to be changed? Think about an area of your life where you want to be changed. Do you believe the work of Christ is related not only to heaven, but to right now? Do you believe you're primarily transformed by faith in Christ or by trying harder? That's a huge paradigm shift that every one of us need to grapple with. Be purified by trusting in grace. Secondly, Be purified by dying to self. Now that sounds pretty violent. What does that mean? Well, in Ephesians 4, 22, Paul writes, put off the old self. In a parallel letter to Colossians, Colossians 3, 5, Paul writes, put to death whatever is worldly or earthly in you. 
So the, the, the sinful self, which is the residual of who we used to be that God allows to remain in us, pulls us towards sin. Now, Satan will use the flesh to push us into either ditch, the ditch of, of self-righteousness and religiosity or the ditch of self-indulgence and irreligiosity. The self that we need to die to is both. It, it, is, it is simultaneously self-righteous and then it can be the next moment self-indulgent. It is religious at times. It is irreligious at other times. The self can be controlling and domineering, or the self can be passive and withdrawn. This old man, this, this old self needs to be put to death. The question, 35. Can we put that up again real quick? It says that part of sanctification is we're enabled more and more to die into sin. We're enabled more and more to die to self. Self-reliance, self-righteousness, self-indulgence, as we look to Christ for help, for change, we're enabled to put the self to death. Now, this, this doesn't mean, we're not, we're not talking about self-hatred. We're not talking about self-harm. We're, we're talking about who we used to be in Adam apart from Christ. That self needs to be continually put to death. And as we look at the review of redemptive history in the Old Testament in Psalm 105, we come face to face with the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the, the nation of Israel, Moses, and in each one of those situations that Psalm 105 recounts, we realize they're broken, fallen, sinful people. And they needed to learn to put the self to death just like we do. Look at verses 14 and 15. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones. Now that refers to a very specific biblical account. Can you remember what it might refer to? Do not touch my anointed ones. It's, it's in Genesis uh, 20 where Abraham uh, goes before King Abimelech and he tells his wife Sarah, who's very beautiful, to lie to the king and to say that she is his sister, not his wife. Now, why did Abraham do that? Because Abraham was looking out for himself. He was afraid that if Abimelech knew that Sarah was Abraham's wife, in order to have Sarah, he would just put Abraham to death. Well, this way, because of the lie, Abraham was safe, and Sarah was in danger of being raped. And so God showed up to Abimelech in a dream and said, do not touch that woman. And basically tells Abimelech that Sarah is Abraham's wife. And Abimelech the non-Christian goes to Abraham, the Christian, and says, why did you lie to me? But God prevented me from laying a hand on her. How do you engage in self-protection, self-preservation? See, Abraham, rather than trusting the promises of the covenant of grace, that he would be the father of many nations, 
He thought he needed to take the reins. He thought he needed to be in control. He thought he needed to manipulate circumstances so that the promises of God would be fulfilled. No. We don't need to manipulate anything. The promises of God will be fulfilled. And Abraham needs to die to self, just like we need to die to self. And then he talks about Jacob in verses 6, 10, 23. Jacob, of course, was a deceiver. And he turned to idols to try to make life work, just like we do. The idol of control, the idol of manipulation. We know that Jacob took advantage of Esau, his brother's hunger, who was actually the firstborn. And even though God had promised that Jacob, the secondborn, would receive the birthright and the blessing of being the firstborn, rather than waiting on God's promise, he manipulated circumstances. He took control. He bootstrapped it. And he, and he made Esau and manipulated Esau his hunger for the birthright. And then at the end of Isaac's life, his own father, Jacob dresses up pretending to be Esau and to smell like Esau and to cook like Esau. And he deceives his own dad in order to receive and steal Esau's blessing. Now, God had already promised that somehow Jacob was going to receive Esau's birthright and blessing. And it would have happened God's way without deception, without manipulation. But instead, Jacob went to self-preservation, self-protection, self-achievement, self-reliance, self-sufficiency. And those are the very things we need to die to as well. What promises of God are you clinging to that you're seeking to bring about by your own resources, your own power, your own will. Then we get to Joseph in verses 17 to 19. Joseph was sent ahead of the people of God into Egypt, but he was tested. He was put into prison. And notice the text says he was hurt with bonds and, and an, uh, a collar of iron. So many times God orchestrates circumstances. Listen to me now, because if you're going through suffering, this is key. So many times God orchestrates suffering because it's the agent of us being transformed by grace. He is exposing our love for self through the trial he's orchestrated so that we would run to him in his grace and have him put the self to death so that we might experience his transformation. I mean, you read Joseph as a young man. He was pretty much of a brat, wasn't he? I mean, he tattled on his brothers. He boasted about his dreams. God used trials to break him of self. And then he does the same thing to Egypt. In verse 25, it says that God turned them. That means God turned the Egyptians to hate his own people. Why would God do that? 
to bubble up and expose Israel's sin so that as the people of God, they would know how they need to die to self. Verses 26 to 36 talks about Moses and Aaron and the plagues. But even Moses himself didn't die to self completely, right? He struck the rock when God told him simply to speak to it. Moses was depending upon his own resources to convince the people. See, when we're living for self, other people experience us differently than we're, when we're putting the self to death and living in the power of the Spirit. So how do we kill the flesh? How do we destroy the self? And again, we're not talking about self-harm, self-hatred. We're talking about the old person we used to be in Adam. We're talking about the residual of indwelling sin within us. How do we put that to death? Well, we run to the places where that old self can't live. Hanley Page was a a British uh, pilot. He was uh, a a pioneer in uh, aviation for England, actually for the whole world. And uh, he went all around the world. And one of the places that he traveled was sort of some jungle. It was, a, it was just a cut airstrip in the jungle. And unbeknownst to him, while he was walking around looking at things, uh, a rat had crawled into the plane. And he took off and he heard this sickening, gnawing sound. He knew an animal was chewing on his cables that weren't steel back then. They were rope. And he realized that if the rat chews through the rope, he's going down. And then he remembered in his panic that rats have really tiny lungs. And they can't survive at really high altitude because they can't pump enough oxygen to their vital organs. And so Hanley Page pulled back on the stick and he flew as straight up as he could. It got to the point where even he was having a hard time breathing. And he listened. And the gnawing had stopped. And when he finally landed, he looked. And there behind the cockpit was this dead rat that had been gnawing through the cables that allows the plane to fly safely. The old man, the self, the flesh is a lot like that rat. It's trying to sabotage our growth. And we need to run to the heights where Jesus is, where the self cannot survive. But our new man is brought more and more to life. And that leads to our third point. We also need to be purified by living for righteousness. Look at verse 45. That they may keep his statutes and observe his law. What does that mean? Don't miss. This is the last verse in the the whole text. And everything that went before leads to this verse. All of the recounting of redemptive history through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Israel, Moses. God emphasizes all that he has done in order that they might keep his statutes and observe his law. The entire psalm 
recounts gospel privileges. And in this last verse, he comes to gospel responsibilities. You've heard me put it this way before. In the Christian life, the indicative is always the foundation and springboard of the imperative. Now, you know what the imperative is. Those are commands. Things we're called to do, things we're warned against doing. What's the indicative? The indicative is what is true of God, what is true of the work of Christ, what the work of Christ has accomplished for me, and therefore what is true of me. So the indicative are all the truths and benefits of the covenant of grace. And no matter where you go in Scripture, the indicative, what is true because of grace, is always the springboard in the, in, into the imperative. And the order is never, ever, ever reversed. So that is why Kevin DeYoung said we need to constantly proclaim truths about God and the covenant of grace more than what we're supposed to do. Because if we hear more about the beauty of grace, we will then be transformed into wanting to learn what we're supposed to do. The indicative is the ground of the imperative. And in this psalm, what happened to Israel is parallel to the gospel. When in in verse 11, God promises a land to the people of Israel, okay, that will be fulfilled in the new Jerusalem, right? The new Jerusalem will be where we live forever as the people of God together. But also the promised land is symbolic for all of the inheritance that is ours in Christ. So in verse 44, where it says, He gave them the lands of the nations, and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toils, he's talking about the covenant of grace. That Jesus, by His toil, gives us the spoils of His victory. The benefits of the finished work of Christ are ours. Therefore, verse 45, so that we would obey His statutes and keep His law. In 1 Peter 2.24, we learn that Christ lived and died so that we die to sin, die to self, and live to righteousness. I have uh, in my pocket here, if I can get it out, a guitar string. And you notice this guitar string is completely free. Some of you have seen this illustration before. It's completely free. It's untethered. I can whip it around. I could, I'd actually really let it go free and throw it out into the, into the seats. But I don't want anybody to get hurt. Now, if I would do what the world would call limit this guitar string by connecting it to the tuning fork on one end and the bridge on the other end and make it taut... People in the world would say it's limited, it's not free. I would argue just the opposite. It is most free when it is given a place to accomplish what it was created for. This guitar string right now is not free at all. 
It's, it's free in a humanistic sense. But it is not free to do what it was created to do. No music, no beautiful sound is coming from this thing right now. No, it won't do what it's created to do until it's in the proper position that it was made to hold. And that is to be connected to a guitar and pulled taut. Then with other strings similarly attached, it produces great music. Psalm 105 teaches us that as we hope in the covenant of grace and God's promises that we are attached to Christ by His Word. And we are free, not only from condemnation, not only from the penalty of sin, but we are being progressively freed from the power of sin. And we're free to live the way God calls us to live. Do I look any different? I hope so. Do y'all look any different? Yeah. But it's not because of what we've done. It's because of what Christ has done and continues to do. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Not just the author, but the perfecter of your faith. Let's pray. Father, what a wonderful psalm reminding us of the truths of the gospel and really sanctification by the work of grace through faith. God, if there's anybody here this morning that maybe they just understood the gospel for the first time, God, may they flee from self-reliance and run to the cross to receive from your blood the double cure being cleansed from sin's guilt, and then, like the rest of us, being cleansed from its power. Oh, God, would you progressively transform our hearts? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.